Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good to see you all. Happy Easter. And as John mentioned, this is fun. This is our first time doing three services. Next week, uh, we don't have three services. <laughs> we only have two services typically around here. 9 and 10.30. And so if you do come back next week, don't come at 11.30. You'll catch the tail end of, of the second service. So next week, we're doing two services. We did three just to make more room for people on Easter because it is our largest Sunday each year. And so our plan is to launch three services uh, permanently in the fall. So this actually gives us a chance to kind of practice what that was like. And so we had a crew of people at 7 in the morning here setting up and getting ready for all of you to being here today. And so we're glad that you came you know that, that video that we just watched? I, I, I personally would enjoy having a cup of coffee and, and hearing her story. Uh, by the way, that object, that's called a typewriter. If you didn't, if you didn't some of you don't know what that, what, what is that thing? What's happening? That's called a typewriter. Who's ever used a typewriter? All right. I know some of you have never used a typewriter, and, that, and that's okay. You've used a computer. But by the way, we don't typically document our stories with typewriters anymore. Some people probably still do. Most of the time, nowadays, when you want to capture your story, you, you take a picture, right? You take a picture. We, we create our stories, and then we capture them through our iPhones or our devices, and that's how we keep track of our life story. Now, that lady on that video, she reminds me of a very dear family friend. The, the name, and I'm going to introduce you to this lady by picture. Uh, this is Grace. And Grace uh, she died in her early 90s, just a few years ago, and she's holding my daughter, who is named Grace. So there's a connection here uh, to, from this uh, gal to, to my daughter. Part of the reason why we named her was after this lady. She had some amazing stories. Uh, I met her when I was in junior high, and she lived through the Depression, and hearing her stories of life was just fascinating, just what she'd walked through and she was an extremely hardworking, industrious lady. Her and her husband owned a ranch in the hills of Arroyo Grande, where I grew up. And he was a retired uh, fire captain from Long Beach. They moved up to the central coast near Pismo Beach, Arroyo Grande, and they had this large ranch. And they had some horses on the property. She, would, she showed horses early on in her life, so they still had some horses. And I worked on her ranch in high school. She, she, her and her husband taught me all sorts of things how to operate some farming equipment. I learned to paint there. Uh, she had, they had this big giant trailer. It took me uh, quite a while to wax that thing, get it ready for their trips. I mean, I just did all sorts of things, trying to earn extra money. And, but she, they were like grandparents to me. I was closer to them than I was my actual grandparents, and I spent more time with them. And she would fix up these huge ranch-style meals with like 10 side dishes. I don't know if you've ever had like a ranch cooking, you know, and so Lots of food, you know, and typically, you know, we might have two or three, four, you know, things to eat at dinner. She would have ten and more, and she'd just keep bringing them out, and you're just like, oh, but it was, it was all really good. She made cauliflower taste really good. She would steam cauliflower, and she'd put cream of mushroom soup on cauliflower. Try it. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's really good. Another thing I loved about this lady was Grace would, she would, when she'd hug you, it was like a bear hug very strong lady, she'd bear hug you, and she just wouldn't let go. And you'd be like, all right, I'm good, you know, and she wouldn't let go. And what it was, turned out later, she was praying for you. 
And so she would pray. She would hug you and she'd pray for you. And that's why she wouldn't let go. Uh, but her stories were from a very different time, different era. And I love when she opened up about her stories. But the most pivotal part of her story came when she was about 65. Her and her husband became Christians at the age of 65. And their lives just took a, a major turn. After living a very full life, uh, they decided to become Christians after they'd heard the message of Jesus. And, you know, the, the reality is her, her, her story was, was fascinating. Every one of us has a life story. And some of our stories are positive, and you can't wait to tell others about your story. And some of our stories are negative, and actually we hope that some of the aspects of our story would just vanish into thin air and disappear because we don't want aspects, certain aspects of our story to, to be repeated. And the story you're living right now might be really frustrating, or it might be a really painful story. And so you just hope that something's going to change soon. Or maybe right now, maybe you're enjoying your story, and, and you just hope that it goes on and continues without any interruption. But in, in preparation for, for Easter in this series that we're uh, kicking off this morning, I dusted off my high school yearbook, which kind of tells the story of high school. And it, it doesn't this bring back memories for you when, you when you look at your high school yearbook and you see faces and people, and that maybe you haven't seen some of these people in a long time, but you know, there's all of these memories that kind of get captured. And back in high school, you, know, you, you kind of believe and you're told that you're the star, you're the hero, you're the main character of your story, right? And you're, you're going to become someone. And you start kind of aiming towards that. And you're trying to become that, that person, that star of the story. And, and you know, even in, in our yearbooks, you find, I don't know if your yearbook has this, but mine has kind of these, the VIPs. You know what I'm talking about? See if I can find the section. Here you go. You know, like the most popular and the the best looking and the most athletic and the most spirited. Those are the VIPs of, of our school. And, and you know, the Bible itself. You open it up and there's no pictures in it, but it, it can feel a little bit like a yearbook because you go through the Bible and you realize there are people and there are places and there are stories of, of folks that God interacted with. And that God worked in their lives and he worked through them. And we get to understand the story of God and how he's been working with people through, these, through the pages of the Bible. And there's even a VIP section in the, I would call it the Hall of Fame section in, in a book. It's a New Testament book called Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, there's this listing of all of these individuals who really made a mark um, as people of faith. People like Moses, people like Noah. Abraham, those are some more familiar names. But then there's even some, there are even some less common stories that are in Hebrews chapter 11, this kind of hall of faith. There's a, a man named Jephthah, and there's a lady named Rahab, and there's these different people that God used, and, and their stories are captured in the pages of the Bible. And uh, this, this same author, the author of Hebrews, in the very next chapter, after he writes about all these heroes of the faith, Chapter 12, he turns a corner and he puts the focus on Jesus. Because all of these people that he's referencing are all people hundreds and thousands of years before Christ came to earth. But then Hebrews 12, he shifts. And this is his advice to us. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 2. And this is, this is actually on your listening guide that you see that, that was in your program. So if you'd like to follow along, you certainly can fill in the blanks. But here's the writer of Hebrews' advice to us. Let Jesus... Write your story, and it will be one worth telling. If you let Jesus author and write your story, it will be a story worth telling. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 2. The writer of Hebrews 
writes, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Those two words are really important. The author is the word, it means to start something, or the pioneer, the founder. So Jesus is the, is, he's starting something new. He's the author of something new. And he is the finisher, or the perfecter. That word has to do with finishing, bringing something to completion without any defect. So Jesus is both the author of our faith, and he's the finisher of our faith. And it says of him, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He went through something very painful. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So if we, if we trust Jesus with our life, then he begins to author a new story. He, 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 we turn the page on something brand new. He begins to write something new. And so the author of, of Hebrews is saying, look, lock your eyes onto Jesus. He modeled the example to follow. But the big question is this, why Jesus? What's the big deal about Jesus? What's the Easter connection to Jesus? The, and here, here's what it is. The celebration of Easter. You know, it's, it's, it's springtime, and you kind of wonder, what's Easter all about? I was at a big, giant, citywide festival yesterday, and, and uh, you know, lots going on, big hunts, lots of excitement, lots of activity. But what's the big deal about Easter? It, it's this. It's that for Christians, Easter is when we remember the resurrection of Jesus, and that is the most important and most significant aspect of Christianity. It's the most important event of Christianity, the day that he rose from the dead. That's the turning point. In fact, many of the authors of the Bible that God used point back to the resurrection, saying this is the foundational thing that you can't miss. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, then the resurrection, you understanding the importance of the resurrection is, is so significant. In fact, Jesus' resurrection makes a new storyline. This is what makes it possible. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the Christian faith is a waste of time. So I want to kind of drill down deeper into this idea of how the, the resurrection is critical. And so if you're investigating Christianity, I'd encourage you to start right there. Start at the resurrection. Look at what one Christian leader, Paul, wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 6. This is a verse in the Bible. Paul writes this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Basically, here's what happened, he's saying. Here's what happened. Here's, here's, the, here's the facts as Paul saw them. This is the message that was passed on, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ died on the cross for our sins. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It's like, these are the facts. Christ, this is, what, this, is, this is the core of Christianity. Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. Now look at verse 5. This is very important. Verse 5. He raised, and then after that, he appeared to Cephas. We know Cephas by his Greek name. His Greek name is Peter. Jesus appeared risen to Peter, and then it says, then he appeared to the twelve. That's the disciples. Then after that, he appeared risen to more than 500 brothers at one time. So Jesus, he dies. People see him die. They see him come off the cross, buried. But then he starts appearing risen. He shows his, his scars from the nails. But he, he's, he's like, he's alive. They could, they could tell he's still, he, he's, he, he is in a new state. He's no longer bloody. And he, 
but they can still see what had happened to him. Now, why does Paul go to all this trouble to tell us about these eyewitnesses? Peter, the twelve, and then the 500 others that saw him at one time. It's because resurrection is a miracle. To rise from the dead, that's a miracle. If you can, if you can pull that off, you know, that's not natural. And so, so, so this, is, this is important. Paul's saying, don't, don't miss this. Because these days, in our courts, one eyewitness is really all you need to support your story. So if, if someone has accused you of something, because someone who looks like you is, you know, out of crime, and, and then someone says, oh, it was this person, and you show up at the court, and you're like, it wasn't me. And you have an eyewitness that says, yeah, he was with me, I can, I can verify. Then that's enough, really, to, that, that's good, strong support. Now, two, three, four witnesses show up, and they're like, yeah, he was with me, that couldn't have been him over here in this situation. Again, that's enough to satisfy a judge and a jury so that, you know, people and matters are investigated. Eyewitnesses are critical. Now, Paul is saying this. Here are the facts. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose, and he started appearing to people risen. Hundreds saw him alive. And if you don't believe it, he's saying, the reason he said, the very next verse, which I put, didn't put up here, but it basically says, of the 500 brothers, Many of them are, are still alive. Many are still alive. Some have died. The point there is, if you don't believe it, go and talk to them. Go and hear their story for those that actually saw him risen. And so what happened was the Christian movement, it began about 2,000 years ago with a group of pretty ordinary common people who followed Jesus closely for about three years. So here's kind of a depiction from a, a film about Jesus. And you see these followers, these people, they left their lives behind and they began to follow Jesus. They did life with him. They saw him perform miracles, amazing things. And they, they were convinced that he was uh, who he said he was. And it's like the, the story and their understanding, it grew more and more as they walked with him and they saw displays of God's power, that he was God in the flesh. But what really convinced them was the resurrection. Once they saw him alive, they were convinced this really is God. Now, back up a week before Easter Sunday, and you have Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is where we remember, you know, the days before his death, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And the people in Jerusalem praised him as a king. And they welcomed him into their city as a king. They laid down these palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. But Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a, on a humble donkey. He's very different. His whole way was very humble, servant. But people are screaming, Hosanna. And that word Hosanna, it basically means it's a shout of praise to your rescuer. So all sorts of people recognize Jesus is, he's our rescuer. So they were praising him as that. But Hosanna on Sunday quickly turned to people screaming, crucify by Friday. How do you go from, you're the king, to kill him? He's a criminal. So you can only imagine the horror of watching their master die as the disciples saw this huge shift of events from king to the cross. And many of his disciples fled at this point out of fear of their own lives and their own safety because they figured we'll be rounded up next. But some stayed near and watched him suffer and die. And he was, he was you know, unjustly accused. The Roman governor didn't really even want to follow through with this, but the people in the crowd really won him over, and they would rather 
a real criminal be released in place of Jesus going to the cross. And so Jesus goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He did this willingly. Now, crucifixion, and we're going to talk about why. Why did he do this? Why did he go to the cross? But crucifixion itself, it's, it was the Roman kind of most preferred execution method for the worst of criminals. Not everybody died of crucifixion. This was reserved to bring the most pain for those who, who brought the most pain. So the worst criminals got that, got that sentence of death by execution in this form. And Jesus suffered this way, though he never once sinned. The Bible declares and there's just, there, he, he lived a perfect life. He never once sinned. He had, he had emotions like we do. But he never crossed that line of, of, of sin. And he hung on that cross for, for six hours in anguish. After being beaten and flogged and whipped before going to the cross, he's, he, he's nailed to this cross. And just to breathe would have been torture. Because in order to breathe, he'd have to use his legs and pull himself up and his arms. But he'd just been whipped and beaten and chunks of his flesh were missing. But he's just to get breaths, he'd have to just use every ounce of strength that he had just to inhale and exhale for those hours. And then, after saying the words, it is finished, he drew his final breath and he hung his head and he died. And his followers, you can imagine what was going through their mind at this point. Hopelessness. What now? What about us? What's going to happen to us? They start removing bodies from the cross. And actually, before Jesus, uh, after Jesus died, uh, the Roman soldiers were trying to speed the process up. There was three people on the cross. And so, to speed the process, they start breaking the legs of the criminals beside him just to speed up the process so they can no longer use their legs to support their breathing. And so they go to break the legs of one criminal to speed that up. They go to break the legs of another criminal to speed that up. And they get to Jesus, and they didn't break his legs because he was declared dead. They pierced him through the side, and there was a mixture of blood and water, just the proof that his heart had ruptured, and he was dead. And so they didn't break his legs. They remove him from the cross, and his followers that were there, uh, they asked, to prepare his body for burial. And so they wrapped his, bo- his body in a linen cloth and shroud, and, and they prepared it with spices according to the Jewish custom. And then he was laid in a borrowed tomb from a rich man. And this tomb was sealed with a large stone that would have taken many people to move this stone. And at that point, the story would appear to be over. Jesus is dead in the grave. Now, have you ever watched a movie at the theaters and seeing those post-credit scenes, usually you see them in superhero movies these days, especially Marvel. Marvel's really big on like bringing back these dead superheroes. And so after the credits roll, there'll be this final scene where somebody comes back to life and you're like, he's alive! You know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, a superhero you thought was dead or he, you know, he, he walked off a cliff or he was thrown off a cliff or he, he blew up and you're like, but then he reemerges and he's having coffee in a diner or something like that. And you're like, there's another, there's a, there's a sequel. I can't wait. Now, my children love this aspect of movies, so it's like we have to wait to the very end. And I'm like, the butter coma, I don't feel so good after a movie usually. I want some water, but my kids want to wait and see because they want to see what's next. I think the reason we want to wait around for those post-credit scenes is because we, we all long for a story 
of hope. And right now in your life, that might be where you're at. Maybe you feel like the credits are rolling in your story, and that's exactly how the disciples would have been feeling after they saw Jesus put in that grave. But then the unexpected occurred. I want, I want to show you a brief scene from the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And this is at the tomb, from inside the tomb, on the third day. Death couldn't, couldn't hold him down. The power of God raised Jesus from the dead. And he, he told people this is what's going to happen. Most people didn't connect the dots about what he was saying until this actually occurs. And they begin to see him alive. The tomb is empty. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, since Jesus was a real person in history, I mean, outside of the Bible, there's extra biblical accounts of the person of Jesus. So he, he was a real person in history. We can actually investigate the historical person of Jesus Christ and decide for ourselves if he really is God, who he claimed to be. And everything in the Christian faith hinges on the resurrection. You can actually check this out for yourself, and I would invite you to do that. Many people have done this who have been really skeptical about whether or not this actually happened. I would encourage you to pick up this book on your way out. We have this available at our information table. It's called The Case for Easter. It's written by a man named Lee Strobel. Now, Lee Strobel was a, he was an atheist. He and his wife were atheists living in Chicago. He worked for the Chicago Tribune, and he was an award-winning journalist. He was the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. He'd, write, he'd risen to a real high-ranking role. Uh, for a journalist, the facts are your friends. You want to, if you hear something, it's not proven true until, I think, one of the statements I saw in a movie about his life, it said, if your mom says she loves you, check it out. So for journalists, they want to make sure, you want to check the facts, right? And so this is his line of work. Well, he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in Jesus. And something unique happened, though, in his, in his story. His wife became a Christian. Well, that poses a problem for someone who would actually label themselves an atheist. My experience is that most people would just say, ah, yeah, I believe it. It doesn't, I believe in God, but I, there's no connection there to my life. But yeah, I, I, I guess I believe in God or, you know, I'm, I'm an American, so I, I, yeah, I believe in God. I'm a Christian, right? Well, that, that, that is becoming less and less. 
the case. But for someone to actually say, no, I'm an atheist, that means you've thought through this issue and you've said, no, I reject all of that. I do not believe in God. I reject this. Well, this is where he was at. When his wife becomes a Christian and starts growing in her Christianity and her faith, uh, it created a clash in their marriage and in their lives. And as a journalist would do, he decides, I'm going to go ahead and prove that this whole thing is a sham, that Christianity is a sham. And so he sets out on a quest to, to go after the resurrection because he understood that if the resurrection did not occur, then the whole Christian faith is a waste of time. And this has actually been the, the key issue all of the time. And for skeptics, this is the issue to, to examine, the resurrection. Did this really happen? And so he, he starts flying across the country, meeting with people, talking to scholars and critics, and trying to just get his mind around this whole issue. He's examining the earliest Greek manuscripts. He's trying to understand the Christian tradition and just what happened. You know, Because you see, the proof of Christianity is this giant faith, this Christian movement. But, but how did this happen? People really believe that this guy rose from the dead? And the deeper and deeper that he gets into this whole investigative journey, he hits a point where he concludes, the evidence is there to support the resurrection. And he, he, he chose to follow Christ. He wrote a book about it called The Case for Christ. This is a follow-up book to that. But The Case for Christ, if, you, if you're at a point where you're saying, I don't, I don't believe in the resurrection, I don't believe in Christianity, um, The Case for Christ is a good book to check out. Another thing you could do, if you'd prefer not to read and watch a movie, they just made this into a movie called The Case for Christ, and it's on Netflix right now. And it's, it's, it's done very well. Sometimes Christian art isn't the greatest. Uh, but this has got like real well-known actors that, that you've seen in other movies, and they do a great job depicting his story and the process of investigation that he went through. And him concluding and deciding to turn his life to follow Jesus and to, and to put faith in Christ. Now consider this. This is in the middle of your listening guide. The decisions you make today determine the story you will tell tomorrow. It's the decisions you make today. That, that's going to write your life story, your decisions. This is true for all of us. Some decisions appear insignificant, and some we, we know. This is a big decision. I better get it right. Now, my story is probably pretty similar to yours in, in, in many ways. Like typical childhood the only thing, well, the thing that might have been different was my father was a pastor. So I had no choice but to go to church. And I would say, oh, I knew God. But what I really meant by that, looking back, was I knew a lot of ideas about God. For me, the things that my life was all about at the core was fun. Fun and sports. Hanging out with my friends, you know. Jesus was not the core of my life. He was a slice of my life, meaning I gave him a little bit of time. I gave him a little bit of my attention. But at the core, I was still in charge. And this was pretty true for most of my closest friends who went to church with me. And so as a child and as a teenager, I never met any, anybody who seemed to really walk with Christ and, and really follow Jesus. I had no idea in my, in my senior year that a few decisions would really change my story drastically. When I was 17 years old, I came to Riverside for the very first time from Pismo Beach on a, preview, a college preview trip to check out a small college at that time. This was uh, 1995, and I showed up at California Baptist College. Now it's called California Baptist University. Well, this school was really small. I mean, this is what I remember driving up to. It was the first time I'd been to Riverside and Cal Baptist. This school, the student population at that time was half the size of my high school. 
that felt like a downgrade to me. You know, I was hoping for bigger and better in college, and I didn't know much about Riverside or Cal Baptist, but what I did know was that it was far from the beach. That was strike one for me. Far from the beach, coming from Pismo Beach. And strike two was my sister went there. <laughs> and I didn't need my big sister looking over my shoulder. But even with strike, you know, two strikes, I decided to head to preview day. And preview day came at a horrible time for me. It was the night before our wrestling league finals. And I'd wrestled through high school and I also played tennis through high school. Here's, here's a picture in case you, you thought, I've always been bald. I'm the guy in the middle. This is for my yearbook. I got a full head of hair. I'm the one with my warm-up open for some reason. I was trying to make a fashion statement for in those. So I'm showing my white shirt underneath. But wrestling for me, and, and even this next sport, these were, these were everything for me. I was the short guy in the back. Again, long flowing hair in those days. And uh, I think I ran my hair, hands through my hair a little too long, and God, you know, caused it to all fall out. So, But... But this preview day came right in the middle of a crucial moment. It was wrestling league finals. And so while I was packing for preview days, at the very last minute, I grabbed my tennis racket heading out the door. And I thought, I'm going to try out for the tennis team. I'd read in the brochure there's going to be athletic walk-on trials. So I tried out for the tennis team. I had a great time. I ate a lot of food in the cafeteria. They had a big like pep rally in the gym. And it was like, go to college, go to college. You want to come here? And it was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I wasn't. I had a great time, and I ate a lot of food. We drove home that night. I had to be at an early morning weigh-in at my high school, and then we were going to hop on a bus. And while I was at Cal Baptist, I ate a lot of food, I should say, over and over. And so I weigh in in the morning, and I, was, I had wrestled all year at 125, and I dropped my senior year to 112 to try to go further. And I, I was four pounds over when I weighed in. I was at 116 when I checked in. And my coach, he's yelling at me, you better lose that weight. We've got two hours. You've got to weigh in. And, yeah, I know. And I'd lost weight before in, in, in a pinch. But four pounds in a couple hours is, is a struggle. So we're, we're driving on the bus. I'm, you know, spitting in a cup, trying to lose weight. And we get off the bus, and I'm running the bleachers. I put a trash bag over me, sweatshirts. I'm losing weight, and I'm losing weight. And I know, and I check my weight. I'm still like a pound and a half over. And then I check it again at the final call. I'm two ounces over. Two ounces over. You can't wrestle if you're even one ounce over. I'm just like on the scale. I'm like, Whoo. I mean, it's like, please drop, please drop, please move. This is my senior year. I did well my junior year. I thought this would have been the year I need this for college. All my hopes were shot at that point. My story took an unexpected turn. A few weeks go by, and I got a call from a tennis coach at CBU saying, hey, we want you to come and play at CBU. We'll give you a scholarship. I'm like, You'll pay me money to play tennis? (laughs) So I arrived at CBU. Almost immediately, I started meeting people, and I noticed the difference. I mean, I had all these ideas in my head about God, and I knew knew what it was to, to give my life to Christ and to walk with Him, but I was doing my own thing. I was the boss of my life. My dad was concerned, and he was calling, Hey, Josh, you should go to church. He finally wore me down one night and went to a church service. And while I was at that church service, it was like the pastor was preaching. It was nailing me. Just It was just like me and him. And I sensed that the Lord was getting my attention, and I started responding. I could tell God was saying, why not now? It was October 31st, 1995, when I gave my life to follow Jesus. That was a major change for me. It was when I said, Jesus, will you lead my life? 
And then from that point on, slowly, my life began to change. And in my sophomore year of college, I met my wife, Erica. We married two years later. Uh, we have three kids. Here's a picture of our family. I was talking with one of my kids recently about college. And I, and I said, and I was telling him that, that story of missing weight. And one of my sons, my middle son, says, wait a sec. If you had, if you had made weight at that wrestling tournament, you wouldn't have met mom. You wouldn't have come to Riverside. I wouldn't have been born. And he's like trying to get his mind around this whole thing. Like, that's right. I mean, if, I like food. You know, <laughs> one of the best decisions that I ate too much right there. <laughs> my life has taken a drastic turn. I, was, I told my son, yeah, imagine all the people that we're connected to now, that those stories, that, that's all because of the shift that went on from that point forward. In the summer of 2007, God led our family to move back here to Riverside to start this church. This was 10 years ago. We started this church with this team of people. This has been the joy of our lives as a family and as a group of families. And it's been amazing to see God at work here. Here's a picture of our, our 10-year anniversary as a church right out in the courtyard here uh, in between services about a month ago. We took a drone photo uh, of, of our church. But for me, what has never gotten old is seeing the the life changed stories of people who would say, you know, I put my faith in Christ. And I've seen story after story after story of life changes. It's not always like drastic. Sometimes it's slow, but I see the change that God is working out. And each one of you here has a story. And decisions in your past have determined the story you are now telling. And today a new storyline can begin in your life if you choose to respond to Christ. Here's how that looks. My new storyline begins when I put my faith in Christ. This is what Jesus said about it. He told a lady whose brother had died, he told her this. He said of himself, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. There's life after death. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You know, what an opportunity Do you, do you believe this? This verse right here highlights why Jesus' resurrection is so crucial. If he makes this statement and says, I'm the resurrection and the life, believe in me and you'll live again. If he makes this statement and never actually rises from the dead, if he's not resurrected, then this statement would have no power. And all of this gathering would be a big waste of time. And all of your serving, all of your, you know, all of your living for Christ would be a big waste of time without the resurrection. This is the critical issue. It's the resurrection. And Jesus did rise. And I'd like to share with you as we wrap up just this brief summary of Christianity. It's very good news. It's what the Bible says is necessary to commit your life to Christ. The Bible says this, that God loves you. He made you, and he wants you to experience abundant life. And this is illustrated here with God. He's our maker. He's our creator. He's the one who pursues us. But rather than turning to God and responding to his love, every one of us has gone our own way. Every one of us has begun to live a life of sin. We try to be the boss of our own lives. And sinning, doing wrong, it comes pretty naturally to all of us, doesn't it? Did anyone here need to be taught how to sin? No, it's just pretty naturally we learn how to, how to sin, how to be selfish, how to be prideful. How to, those, are, those are just... Those are common practice for us. Since Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, 
rebelled. We have all fallen into sin. And here's the result. The result of our sin is this. The consequence of our sin is separation from God. Our sin cuts us off from God and from knowing Him personally because God is holy and He's righteous and He's perfect. And we're, we're not. So instead of experiencing the life and the freedom that God desires for us, people are spiritually dead. They're cut off from God and they actually find ourselves in bondage to our sin and the consequences of our sin. And so here's the point. In order to remedy the situation, God sent Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, comes to earth, and he willingly died to pay the penalty of your and my sin and our rebellion. He paid the price. Somebody needed to pay that price, so Jesus offered up his life. He was the perfect one, the perfect sacrifice, but he didn't stay dead. He was raised from death, and God proved his amazing love and his power in doing that. Because our sin had created this mountain of debt before God. And whenever you pay off a debt, what you do is you move money and apply funds from one account to pay off the debts in another account. And what God did is through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he, he took from, from Jesus' righteousness, he took that and he credited that to your spiritual account to pay for your sin debt once and for all. That's what he's offered to you. He's made a way for you to come back into relationship with him. And so the Bible says this, that all people without Jesus are destined for eternal separation. That's called hell. It's a real place. But for those who would repent and turn around and yield their life to follow Jesus as the boss, as the leader of their life, they can become children of God and they can experience the life and the freedom that God desires for them. This is what we call grace. Grace is something that is not deserved. It's given freely. It's offered to you. And if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, a new story, he begins to author a new story. That moment, and it continues on throughout eternity. Second Corinthians 5.17 declares the same truth. Therefore, if anyone, that doesn't, doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what your story looked like in the past. If anyone is in Christ, then he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. This is where we start over. We trust Christ. We put our faith in him. And I want to encourage you this morning to let God write a new story in your life. If you've never done that, let God. And you might be here today and you might think, I never turned to God for anything. But maybe you sense today is time for a change. And the good news is it's not too late for you to include a new main character in your story. And invite Jesus to take the lead in your life. If you've never done that before, you can invite him to, to lead your life today. And in your, in your program, you had this blue card. I just want you to pull this out. On the back of this card, there's this blank box that just says prayer requests and next steps. If you're at a point where you're ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ, because maybe you've been coming around, you've been processing this for some time, and you, you would say, I'm convinced. I'm in. I believe. Just like that journalist, I believe. I yield. Then right in this box, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. We'll follow up with you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'd like to lead you in a prayer so you can respond personally. If you've never done that for the first time, I'll lead you in just a moment in a prayer. And if you do that, we'll follow up with you this week and make sure you get moving in your, in your Christian faith and get started in that new journey. If you're not ready to do that, you're just not convinced, then I would, again, just encourage you to check out that book, The Case for Easter. It documents that guy's story, and it points out the importance the foundational issue of the resurrection. And so, for those of you who already trust Christ, 
And here's what it means for us. His love motivates us to live for him. It's his love that motivates us to live for him. Paul writes this, for Christ's love compels us. It changes us. Because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. God's love in Christ can motivate us to live for and serve God's purposes here and now. His love motivates us to live life differently. And one specifically way, one specific way to live differently as a Christ follower is to share your story with other people that, that don't know Christ personally. And if you've let Jesus author your story, then you've got a life and a story that is worth sharing and telling. And people want hope right now. So I encourage you. If, you, if it's been a while since thinking through when you became a Christian, maybe jot down, what is my story? When did, when did I decide to shift and say, Jesus, you lead my life? When was that? Maybe jot that down. What were the circumstances? What's changed in your life? You'll be ready. If you, if you keep those things handy, you'll be ready to share that with others around you. I also want to just invite you as we wrap up and our worship team joins me up here on the stage. I want to invite you to, to join us for the next uh, week of this message series. Next week we're going to look at if, when Jesus is the hero of our story, what happens is old ways of living and patterns of thinking really get challenged. And we start wrestling with what maybe needs to stop in our life. April 15th, we're going to look at staying under pressure and, and how to manage the mounting pressure that we face when life gets really hard, which that's something we all face. And then finally, on the 22nd, we're going to look at how to step out in faith out of our comfort zone. And so please come back and, and invite a friend with you even next week. Uh, for those of you who are not yet Christians, but you are at a point where you're ready to commit your life to Christ, I want to lead you in a prayer. And so if we would just bow our heads here together. And you can pray this along with me. You can just pray this in your heart and you, could, you can uh, respond to God in this way. You can just say, Father, thank you for bringing me here to church this Easter. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to this earth 2,000 years ago. The person of Jesus. He died. He was a perfect sacrifice. He died for the sin of the world. But he didn't stay in the ground. He rose from the dead. Today, I just... I, I, I'm declaring, I believe that. I believe that in faith. And I admit that I'm a sinner who needs forgiveness. And today I'm ready to turn away from my life of sin and begin doing life your way, God. I yield my life to you right now. I invite you to be the, the, the Lord of my life, the boss of my life. I want you to author a new story. And I thank you that you're offering this to me. I receive this free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's Word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.